The bedrock and surface deposits of Pennsylvania span over a billion years of geologic time. I guess we can say that Pennsylvania literally rocks. Welcome to the PCPG podcast series. The Pennsylvania Council of Professional Geologists formally invites you to join us on a journey to explore the geology of the Keystone State and to meet the people who study it and work with it in their everyday lives. Welcome to the PCPG Podcast. I am your host, Greg Rosenswag. This episode is being recorded as part of the question and answer session to the Act 2 Overview webinar that was held on January 26th, 2022. The webinar provided a basic overview of Pennsylvania's land recycling program and included the Chapter 250 regulations that govern the program and several of the main cornerstones of the program. This podcast episode has been developed with the DEP to provide answers to questions that we were not able to get to during the live Q&A session. Mike Madigan presented the Act 2 overview webinar, and I am with him today so he can provide answers to the questions we did not have time for. Mike has been with the DEP since 2008, and he is currently the program manager for the Land Recycling Program. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Greg. Glad to be here. I'd like to thank you for taking additional time to answer these questions and for hosting PCPG today to record this session. So before we jump into the questions, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got to this position? Sure. So I uh, have a an undergrad and graduate degree, both from Penn State, um, and uh, I was a consultant for about eleven years with uh, Gannett Fleming Engineers in Camp Hill. Um, I was uh, hired by DEP back in 2008 as an environmental chemist. Um, I then became the section chief for the voluntary cleanup and standards section in 2014. And just recently in November of 2021, I became the program manager for the land recycling program. Great. All right, well, let's get into the questions. First question here, prior to Act 2, what were the laws and regulations in place? So before Act 2, remediators were expected to restore contaminated sites to pretty pristine conditions. You know, this was obviously a significant deterrent for for developers and remediators to acquire and remediate contaminated sites when they could simply redevelop green spaces without the added cost and the time of remediation or the concern of environmental liability. So back in 1995, the uh, the Pennsylvania legislature wrote Act 2 to address this issue, um, and we think it's worked pretty well so far. Act 2 incentivizes remediators to clean up those old industrial abandoned sites um, that may have some contamination and that are adversely impacting the local community. So this doesn't just help with the the in, you know the human health risk of exposure to contamination, but also helps address the economic and the social impact of having blighted properties in a community. So Act Two helps downtown areas sort of get back on their feet, and it also helps to preserve those green spaces. All right. What determines whether a site can be an Act Two site or a Superfund site, or are the two relatively synonymous? So uh, Superfund is a federal term referring to surplus sites, but Pennsylvania has a similar law called the Hazard Sites Cleanup Act, or 
we, we refer to that as, uh, as Haska. And Haska is for sites that don't have a viable, responsible party to pay for the cleanup. So state money is used to clean up these sites. Um, where Act 2 is different from Haska, it's that Act 2 is a voluntary cleanup program that uses, you know, financial and other incentives to encourage remediators and developers to clean up subsurface contamination as part of their redevelopment efforts. Also, while Haska is a, uses a lot of the same site evaluation processes outlined in Act 2, Haska has environment or has enforcement authority while Act 2 does not. So that that's a pretty substantial uh, a difference between the two statutes. Does a special industrial site enter the program through the same process as a normal site by submitting a notice of intent to remediate? Or is there a special process to initiate it in the Act 2 program? Yes. Remediators enter the Act 2 program uh, for SIA sites just like any other Act 2 site by submitting a a notice of intent to remediate. However, remediators need to keep in mind that sites need to meet special eligibility requirements to use Act 2 SIA provisions. So remediators should really make sure their site qualifies for SIA status prior to submitting their their NIR to the department. All right, this next question uh, is with regard to Phase 2s. During the Phase 2 environmental site assessment process, If contamination is discovered above an applicable MSC through soil and groundwater sampling, what are the requirements or the time frame for a landowner to report contamination to the DEP? So if if there's a spill or a release of a contaminated substance that's an emergency, people should call their their local DEP regional office to report it as soon as they can. if you discover contamination during a phase two environmental site assessment and it's not an immediate threat to human health or the environment, then there's, there, there's really no reporting or remediation requirement under Act Two. Like I said before, it's a voluntary cleanup program. So there, there are requirements of other statutes such as the Storage Tank Act or the Clean Streams Law. Um, that may be applicable to your site, uh, depending on the nature and the, and the extent of the, of the contamination. So I would recommend you check those other statutes to determine, you know, what those requirements would be. But Act 2 doesn't have a specific um, reporting or, or remediation obligation. Do all parcels within an Act 2 site need to meet the same standard, site-specific standard or, or statewide health standard? Or can you apply the statewide health standard to some parcels, say residential use, and site-specific standard to others, say non-residential use? So I think with this question, it's important to highlight the distinction between what a site is and what a property is, because they're two different things under under Act 2. So Act Act 2 describes a site as the contamination associated with a release. Um, so there can be multiple sites on one property or a single site could occupy multiple properties. So Act 2 provides the, the flexibility to use a combination of standards to remediate individual sites. So, for example, if there are 15 different contaminants being evaluated in soil at a site, the remediator can use the statewide health standard to address 10 of those 
and then use the the site specific standard to address the other five. Or say there's groundwater and soil contamination associated with a release. The remediator can use one standard to address the 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 soil contamination, and then a different standard to address the groundwater contamination. So you know, Act Two provides for multiple cleanup standards to be used for different environmental media and different contaminants at each site. Does the Act Two program provide any tax incentives? So Act Two does not provide any specific tax incentives itself, but it does provide funding assistance through the the Industrial Site Reuse Program, or ISRP. ISRP is designed to help innocent persons conduct voluntary cleanups. And by innocent persons, I mean those who did not contribute or, or cause the contamination on a property. So the Department of, of Community and Economic Development administers the ISRP program, providing grants to low-interest or, or low-interest loans um, to cover up to 75% of the cost of completing an environmental study and cleanup. And those funds can be used for Phase 1, Phase 2, and Phase 3 environmental site assessments and for uh, uh, remediation activities. Does the DEP have web pages to help people locate Act 2 sites, UECA sites, etc.? Yes, DEP maintains a list of completed sites, completed Act 2 sites, and a list of uh, Act 2 sites in progress. And both those sites are are available on the Land Recycling Program website. Um, We also have a list of areas of non-use aquifer determinations and a registry of sites with activity and use limitations. So the AUL registry, you know, is is a list, but it also has a mapping tool that allows users to search for specific sites um, or to look for the number of sites within uh, a a certain area that that have AULs. What is the DEP doing to create consistency between the different regions and Act 2 case managers? So this is a good a good question. I know it's something that 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 can come up from time to time. But um, so the the land recycling program is a decentralized program, meaning that site related decisions are made at the regional office level. So again, I know it can be frustrating when when re, uh, remediators get different answers from regional office case managers for the same question. But, you know, in my opinion, I think the best way to combat this problem is is through communication. I mean, it's really important that the regions communicate with one another and with central office when these programs arise. Um, one of the main objectives for me and my staff here in central office is to help train the regional office uh, project officers to make sure they're applying uh, the, the Act 2 and Chapter 250 requirements in an accurate and, and a consistent way. Um, we plan to accomplish that through you know, regular meetings and, and discussions with the section chiefs and the program managers at, at the regions. Um, and by try, you know, trying to develop a, 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 a comprehensive training program that will be available to the regional office staff and and to the public so that everybody's on the same page for how these sites get uh, cleaned up. Um, one thing to keep in mind, though, is that, you know, we're all 
different people in our varying levels of education and experience. And each of us kind of have our own interpretation of how the program works. So there's always going to be some variability um, between each re regions, but we really do want to make sure that, that the program's being applied uh, as consistently across the state as we can. What are the most significant changes in the Act 2 program and related DEP policy in the last several years? So in the last five years, uh, we've seen some pretty major revisions to our guidance documents. So to our vapor intrusion guidance and to the technical uh, guidance manual itself. Um, those guidance documents were well overdue for updates and wound up being, you know, complete rewrites. And that's really not how we want to do things moving forward. So, you know, folks should expect to see some more frequent but smaller revisions to our guidances in the future. We also saw a rulemaking published in uh, November of last year. Um, that included MSCs for PFOS chemicals, as well as some other procedural updates that help clarify some things within Chapter 250. But probably the biggest change we've seen to, to the program are uh, changes in personnel. And we've seen a lot of retirements and lost a good bit of institutional knowledge, which is going to be tough to replace. Next question ties in with that. Are there any changes to Act 2 regulations or technical guidance on the radar for the near future? Yeah, so we're currently working on two rulemakings, one to update the toxicity value and MSC values for vanadium. And then the other rulemaking will address updates to the models that we use to, to calculate the lead values for soil, um, among some other things. Um, as far as guidance, Updates go. Uh, we're actually at the three-year mark since the last revision to the to the TGM. So we're we're starting to take a look at updating the TGM, um, and we're also starting the process to develop guidance for addressing historic pesticide contamination at agricultural lands, specifically with orchards. Um, so you know we're 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 struggling with staffing issues just like everyone else these days, but uh, we're really hoping to make some progress on these on these initiatives in the in the near future. All right, well, this last question: What recommendations do you have for undergraduates to help them prepare for early career responsibilities related to Act Two? Yeah, probably the best advice I could provide is. Uh, to do everything you can to improve your communication skills. You know, we as, as scientists are really good at analyzing and solving technical uh, problems, but we're not always that great at communicating the results of, of, of our efforts. So if you want to stand out to future employers, you know, I, I would recommend work on being as comfortable as you can with public speaking and make sure your technical uh, writing skills are, are as good as they, as, as they possibly can be. Yeah, I agree with that. So you're on the regulatory side of Act 2. I'm on the consulting side of Act 2. And, you know, one of the largest things that, that I see that, what, that I would recommend to someone is their technical writing skills. Uh, on the consulting side, a lot of the work we do gets culminated into technical reports that then get submitted to the DEP. And uh, for the most part, that's, that's what your clients are paying for is that report that's going into the, to the state that they're going to review and you want it to be a good, solid product? Yeah, if those reports are hard for us to decipher or to, 
to, if things don't make sense, then it's just going to take longer to get approved. And, um, you know, if, if you can sort of work out those problems, um, at, ahead of time, it makes uh, life easier for everybody. All right. Well, that was all of the questions, Mike. So thank you. And I really appreciate your time today to answer these for us. For those interested in viewing the Act2 webinar, which included other questions and answers from the live event, a recording is hosted on the PCPG website at pcpg.org. Please stay tuned for future podcast episodes from PCPG. And thank you for joining us today.